The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. We've been in a series entitled Limitless, and I planned three sermons in this series. I wanted to talk to you about God's limitless power, God's limitless forgiveness, and God's limitless love. And each of those come from a specific verse in the first, second, and third chapter of the book of Ephesians. And last week, we tackled limitless forgiveness. How many of y'all were here for limitless forgiveness. Now, I I went big on that. It was a big topic, and I wanted to talk about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. And so I unleashed the theological fire hose on everybody and talked fast and then took all all my time plus a couple minutes at the end to try to get it all out there. And um, it was dizzying. I could see the look on your faces. You were like, I did not drink enough coffee for this sermon. And, and then I had several really meaningful interactions with different people who were there, and then some follow-up conversations with people who were part of our streaming family. And what became obvious to me is that this topic of forgiveness is exceedingly important, incredibly relevant and impactful for everybody's individual relationships right now and their understanding of their relationship with God. And there's a lot of misunderstanding Uh, Some of it historic and theological, other of it just a misconception about the nature of what forgiveness is and how it works. And so I was having a lot of really meaningful conversations. And through those conversations, I was continuing to elaborate on things that I didn't get the chance to cover in the sermon and finding people saying, that was really helpful. And so I felt like the Lord was leading me to take a little bit of time and push my third sermon off and to delve back into this topic of forgiveness again with you. And I'd like to go to Matthew chapter 18. I referenced last Sunday uh, this, the interaction between Jesus and Peter about how many times you should forgive and Peter kind of bragging that he would forgive up to seven times and Jesus saying, no, 70 times seven and the reference to Daniel that was and the power that comes through Christ to fulfilling God's promise to forgive his people, to redeem his people. But I, I didn't really talk about the story that Jesus tells in between the interaction with Peter and then what he says down there uh, at the end in verse 35 of chapter 18. And so I wanted to read the story to you and then just pull out uh, a few extra nuggets on forgiveness that I think will really prove beneficial as we continue to to, um, be the kind of people that God's called us to and access supernatural forgiveness. So let's do that together. Let's look at Matthew chapter 18 and verse 23. This is Jesus. Now, he's just had this interaction with Peter and now he's telling the story in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now that, that falls on deaf ears because we don't spend in talents. Um, this would be the uh, equivalent of about um, $12 billion in American c- currency in our present rate of inflation. So imagine that hits you. And so the king is pulling up He's got these magistrates who oversee all sorts of industry within the kingdom, and he's looking to see where they've spent and what money has passed through their account, and he finds that this servant has embezzled something to the tune of $12 billion, like an inaccessible amount of money, okay? So that, when, you, when his original hearers heard 10,000 talents, that's, that's what it felt like, um, hyperbole. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, that seems natural enough, doesn't it? Can I write you a check, Jesus? <laughs> you know, uh, no. Uh, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So we're going to take it out of your shirt, pal. Whatever we can get for you and the whole family and all your possessions, that's going to go back and it's not going to come close to paying off what you've stolen. 
Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And if you know anything about $12 billion, you're thinking unlikely story, right? Like, how are you gonna do that? And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. That's crazy. How do you just forget, forgive that? No, never mind. We're good. You go back to work. We'll just zero that out. So this is a crazy story. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, oh, I'm sorry, verse 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And that's about 2,000 bucks. So enough to buy a used Corolla. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. Is that more of a possibility that I could repay you this 2,000 bucks? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, how's he going to pay the debt in prison? When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, a.k.a. death in prison. It's a life sentence. And then Jesus concludes in verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. God, we thank you for your word that has been read in our hearing. We ask your Holy Spirit would attend it with power that it would have its effect on our hearts and minds and that it would forward the purposes of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So forgiveness is a very personal topic. All of us who want to have relationships with anybody need to know a little something about forgiveness. Um, Every single person in the room uh, is either a forgiving person to some extent, or these are a whole new group of people for you because you just burned all the other people and you're just looking for a new crowd to work on until you accumulate such relational debt that you got to go find new people and uh, some people that live in that, in, that, in that course. All of us understand forgiveness. All of us have been at the mercy of someone else to require and receive forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong. Can I get amen? And so there's been plenty of forgiveness that's happened in this room. And yet there is a supernatural forgiveness, a limitless forgiveness that is meant to characterize the people of God because we have experienced the limitless forgiveness of God himself. And Jesus here is using a parable to illustrate a spiritual reality. It's also very easy for us when we study the parables of Jesus to make unintended inferences and come to wrong conclusions based on the things the parable is not trying to get done. This is, this is really important. In fact, I'm planning a series uh, in the fall. I know it's almost the fall now. You guys realize this is the last Sunday in September. Yeah, 
pumpkin spice lattes are upon us, everybody. That's where this is going. And so I'm planning this series to just talk to everybody a little bit about some, some key principles that we need as we read our Bible. Because it's very easy to read the Bible and come to unbiblical conclusions. And I see a lot happen, especially with stories like this one, this one in particular. And we need this. We need this because as the people of God, we're called to be conduits of God's limitless forgiveness, to walk in it daily, to experience it, to be transformed by it and to extend it to other people. And there's plenty of other people who are standing in line to offend you. Do you know it? And so we've got to be ready to forgive. But we also need to recognize that God's forgiveness of sins, the redemption that he brings through Jesus, is the means by which God plans to restore and unite the whole world to himself. We talked about that last week. If you weren't there, you should listen to the audio, maybe on three-quarter speed. (laughs) But it's this forgiveness that is putting everything back together. And so the same, the same forgiveness, the same Holy Spirit-empowered forgiveness that we need to reconcile during conflicts in our marriage or with estranged family members or with that annoying neighbor that keeps doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, that is the forgiveness that God is going to use through the church to unite the whole entire world. And so when you run into the frustrations of division and offense and animosity, when you bump into the insane and ridiculous and, and arrogant ideas that are bouncing around our world that are so divisive and destructive, and you feel that sense of rage, any of you guys experiencing this? Just me? I'm experiencing it in the most odd times ever. So my kids are homeschooled. They've been homeschooled. We were homeschooled before homeschool was a thing. And uh, Meredith, who's in the fourth grade, she's studying civics. And so she is learning all about the institution and the foundations of our country and why our government is the way that it is. And so I remember doing that when I was in fourth grade. And when you're in the fourth grade, you have absolutely no category for what it is you're hearing at all. You're just remembering dates and places and times and memorizing little, little quips and, and phrases and introductions and so on. But when you're 40 and you've seen a thing or two and you've studied a thing or two and you have some reference, these things become very, very important. And so she's going over her work and she's just telling me about what she did that day. And she said, I memorized the, the I don't know, the preamble to the constitution and the American creed. And I was like, what's the American creed? Apparently I missed that or I forgot it or both. Uh, here's the American Creed. This is um, written by William Tyler Page in 1917 uh, at the entry point of World War I when the United States engaged in World War I. And there was a, a challenge given by the federal government to, to write a 100 max word creed that, was, that established what it meant as a per- person of faith to believe in your country and what it stood for. And so Will, William Tyler Page worked on Capitol Hill and he wrote this and you can see the sources from which he drew. And he was the winner of over 3,000 uh, entries. And this is established as the American Creed. It says, I believe in the United States of America as a government of the people, by the people, for the people, whose just powers are derived from the consent of the governed, a democracy in a republic, a sovereign nation of many sovereign states, a perfect union, one and inseparable, established upon those principles of freedom, equality, justice, and humanity, for which American patriots sacrificed their lives and fortunes. I therefore believe it is my duty to my country to love it, to support its constitution, to obey its laws, to respect its flag, and to defend it against all enemies. And I read that and I got chills. 
And then my, my eyes turned red because I, I, I know personally that there's a whole ideology that is permeating our country and there's, there's tens of thousands, if not millions of people who can't say this in good faith. In fact, they believe the opposite. And they believe that this is not true of America and that it's riddled with all sorts of evil. This is what anybody who decides to become a United States citizen has to cite and read. Do you know that? During naturalization, this is what a foreigner who wants to become an American has to profess to believe. And yeah, there's so many natural-born Americans who totally disagree with this statement and could not say it, and in fact, would like to see everything that's in there torn down. And so that makes me really furious and also scared. And so I started to experience this, um, and this is just American stuff. We're not even talking on the global. We haven't even started talking about my global worries. You want to talk about those? <laughs> but there's this tension, and there's this fear, and there's this anger, and that's connected to an ideology, and that ideology has been imbibed by the masses, and those are people that God has sent me to love and to forgive and to bring good news of reconciliation to. Do you realize that? And so I realize that something's got to happen in my heart that empowers and even overcomes the natural hostility and animosity that I experience. And do you recognize that what God's calling us to is not just to create a more perfect union? Man, we've had it easy. Do you know that? We got the Atlantic on one side, the Pacific on the other, and friendly neighbors north and south. We haven't had to fight a war on, on our turf from invasion. We have, we've had this, this experience of liberty in isolation, and this may be the first time in our country's history, maybe since the Civil War, that we're experiencing the difficulties of warring ideologies and powers. And yet, the peace that we can have and the hope that we can have and the expectation that we can set is that our God has brought universal redemption through forgiveness that results in unity. And that is what he is all about doing. And that happens when he does a transformation in the individual that turns us into forgiving people who are like our father in heaven. And so I wanna take a little bit of time as we venture into this topic of forgiveness. And maybe you're here and the only interest you have in forgiveness, you're like, forget the American creed. I don't care about politics. I don't care about global politics. All I care about is not having to sleep on the couch anymore, right? <laughs> all, all, all I'm concerned with is that my, my grown son will answer my phone calls. Those are the things that I'm worried about. Well, this speaks to both. So whatever, whatever it is for you, I, I, wanna, I wanna draw your attention to just a couple realities that this story and other scriptures bring out so that we might become people who have access to God's limitless forgiveness. And so number one, in order to access the power of God's limitless forgiveness, there's three things you must be. Number one, you must be made new. Somebody say made new. You must be made new. You, you will not access God's limitless forgiveness until you are made new. And I made a point last week that Many of us who come from a, a Protestant background and a background of church that is very focused on God's word, uh, we get this idea of forgiveness into the classification of, of a forensic 
or like a legal transaction that we had these things that incurred against us because of the things we'd done wrong and God forgave those, canceled those. It was a debt or a trespass and that has been removed from us and a transaction has taken place that clears us with God. And Jesus seems to be appealing to that type of transaction in the parable that we just read, doesn't he? And so I mentioned the fact that it's easy for us to focus on that forensic component, that legal component, and, and miss the fact that forgiveness really is relational, that it's meant to bring two people back together. And there's supposed to be a unity and a reunification that comes in. But I don't want to downplay that transactional PC there because that's a huge part of what forgiveness is. And so I want to take just a minute to introduce you a couple words you may not know. Now, if you studied theology, this may be one you're familiar with, but this word, imputation. Can you guys say imputation? Imputation. Imputation is when you receive something from outside of you to your credit or to your account. And so if you understand that when you put your faith in Jesus, it was your faith that justified you before God. We are justified by the grace of God through faith. And so when you believe in God, he declares you righteous, not innocent. He doesn't say you are a good person who's never done anything wrong because we all know that's not true. He said, you are now righteous in my sight. There's a legal declaration of righteous over you on the basis of your faith because of God's grace. Isn't that beautiful? It's, a, it's, a, it's phenomenal. It's amazing. It's what God's grace is all about. And that happens because Christ's actual righteousness becomes imputed to us. And that's a word we don't use very often. This is why the scripture writers, like Paul and others, will talk about there being an Adam, a first Adam and a second Adam, because all of us being born in this, and you guys ever wonder like, why did I have to be born into this broken world? I'm hearing more and more young people say, I'm not bringing children into this world. It's getting worse and worse and worse. I'm not gonna do that to them. But every single one of us were born into a broken world and all of us came with our own internal brokenness, didn't we? It varies a little bit. We're all, we're all like a mixed bag of broken, but everybody's broken. And so we bring that to the table. And if you ever wondered why, that didn't seem fair doesn't seem fair that we wouldn't all get a fair shot. And sometimes I read the, the Genesis account of Adam and Eve, and I think, man, Adam and Eve, naked and unashamed, that was cool. Pick and eat whatever you want. Everything's, you got a whole vegetarian diet, no preparation needed. I mean, it sure put a hurting on all the cooking shows, but still. <laughs> Everything seems so good. Why couldn't we all get the same opportunity? Well, it's actually a really good thing that we don't. Because imputation tells us through scriptures that it's actually Adam's guilt that came through the bloodline of humanity. And so we actually had sin imputed to us. This is when theologians talk about original sin. That's where it came from. Now, the, the terrible thing about that is we're all born into a broken world. But the amazing thing about that is that we all don't need our own individual savior or have to become our own. The reality is that as one man brought sin into the world through one man, we all might be forgiven through the redemption in his blood. And so there's this imputation of Adam's sin to us, but there's an imputation through faith of Christ's righteousness to us. And that's what the Bible calls the forgiveness of sin. Now, it's important that we recognize that because there's also a reading of forgiveness that talks about impartation. Somebody say impartation. Any of you guys, uh, you get really mad and your dad comes out? You ever realize you say something and you sound just like your mom? Or maybe you're like, like us right now, our daughter Evie's 12 and her tonal quality of her voice is deepening just enough that she starts to sound like her mom on the phone. You ever have that where you call somebody and you're like, oh, I thought I was talking to your mother. You ever have that? There's this thing that happens as we spend time with each other is that we begin to imitate the behavior of other people. And I know this because my parents moved us from Southern Maryland 
to Florida when I was eight years old. And so I was given the amazing opportunity to dodge the Southern Maryland accent. So I don't know, it's a very unique accent. All of my uncles, they all talk the same. But for whatever reason, um, I still regularly leave the R out of the verb throw. 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 And so I'll say, hey, throw me the ball. And throw me comes out. You guys ever see that? Maybe you know somebody, I had a friend uh, from Southern Illinois who always left the R out of frustrated. You ever heard anybody say frustrated? I'm so frustrated. Where did that R go? It just disappears. It's just gone. We do the same thing where we change letters, and, but we, we get that from the people that we're around all the time, and that comes through impartation. That wasn't imputed to us. You weren't born inevitably going to talk like your parents. And in fact, if you go to another part of the country, as your speech center develops, you'll, you'll have an accent that comes from the region that you're in. And that is through impartation. And one of the amazing things that happens the longer you walk with God is that spending time with him and walking with him, you actually begin to know him and you get to start to act like him. And this happens through impartation. But it's important that we all recognize the theological reality, especially as it pertains to forgiveness, that imputation must come before impartation. So you must be made new before you're ever gonna be able to forgive like your father forgives. Do you understand? And that's part of what Jesus is doing in this passage. It's obviously, it's obviously an enormous inconsistency that this man would choke out his coworker for two grand after he had just been released from a debt of $12 billion. Can everybody in the room see that that is the point that Jesus was trying to make? Like that is ridiculous to the point that no one would ever do that. Like what kind of narcissist do you have to be? Some of you are looking at like, oh, that was my first husband. <laughs> Seriously, that's the look I see on some of your faces right now. The idea is that this person doesn't exist. This isn't how you should react. Jesus is pointing out how audacious it is that we would be unforgiving when our father has been so forgiving toward us. But the reality is, is that we don't have the goods to imitate God until we have the heart and the righteousness that God gives through faith. And this is what the Apostle Paul was trying to make clear in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Look at verse 14 and following, 2 Corinthians 5.14 and 21. For the love of Christ now controls us. We've been, we have been, uh, we've experienced the transformation that God brings and the love of Christ is in our hearts and it's literally impelling us forward and constraining our direction because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. You know, there's a death that's been died for you so that you don't have to. And that's good news for everybody, isn't it? And we are the ones who have been commissioned to bring that good news. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Because he has died and been raised, he has now blown all the categories. And now we see that there is not a various types of people, different kinds of people, that there's two kinds of people, the saved and the unsaved. And so if they're in Christ, they're the saved, and we don't judge people according to the externals, but instead we look at them the way God looks at them, precious children made in his sight for whom he died and was raised. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone, somebody say anyone, 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's what every single one of us needs. We need to be made new. We need to be transformed on the inside to become what we would never otherwise be. And this is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. It's called regeneration. And by faith, God forgives you, declares you righteous, imputes Christ's righteousness to you and makes you into a new being with new power. It's amazing. But that is happening at the same time as you are being changed into the image of your father. Do you realize it? And that happens by impartation. And so in order for us to access the power of God's limitless forgiveness, number one, we've got to be made new. We've got to receive a righteousness foreign to ourselves. We've got to know what it's like to be forgiven of a $12 billion debt. And, and, and 10,000 talents is a way of just saying, you could never get there. How bad of a person could you be? You'd never get there. The forgiveness of God is so far beyond your ability to incur that debt that, that, that to encounter him is to experience limitless forgiveness. Do you see it? And so you have to know God that way, but then you also have to walk with God in such a way that you begin to carry his accent and carry his mannerisms. I've shared this story before, but my dad was a uh, auto body mechanic and a painter. And um, so he was, we were, he was always regularly taping up cars to paint them. And he taught us how to do that. And um, when I was, I don't know, 13 or so, he, um, with a razor blade, cut through the tendon of his index finger on his left hand, which is his dominant hand. Sorry, some of you were like, ooh, wasn't ready for that. And, um, and he cut through that one, had surgery, had physical therapy, but when he was finally done with physical therapy, he could close that finger like about this much. He had a little Captain Hook happening over here. And um, only like several days after this rehab was complete and he got all the bandages off, he did the same thing to his right hand. I know, some people got to learn the hard way. And so he started the whole process all over again, the little squeeze balls, good thing he still had those. And when he was done, had even worse mobility on that finger and so it sticks out. So if you ever get in a fight with him, he might poke you an eyeball. <laughs> so he had these fingers that didn't really work. And um, so he, you know, obviously when you're in that line of work, you have to kind of figure out a way around it. And so he started holding razor blades in his middle finger and his thumb in order to trim out the tape lines and make sure everything was good. And so I remember when I was about 16 years old, we were painting my car, it was a project car, and I was doing all that work myself. And it was like, by the end of the day, I was like, man, my, my middle finger really hurts really bad from holding this, this razor knife. And I, I realized like, why, why would I do that? Like, that's, the, that's a very cumbersome way to hold a razor blade, well, why not use my index finger, you know, the one that God gave me that works, that I haven't sliced through. And the reason was, is that I just learned from my dad by watching him without ever even thinking had this skill and this disability imparted to me. And in fact, most of our inconsistencies, difficulties, troubles that we face, the things that we need forgiveness for come from the fact that we're born into a broken world with our own brokenness, watching broken people. Do you realize that? And so we do want to walk with our Father in heaven and learn what he's like and imitate his ways. This is what he's calling us to do. I mean, this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five. He said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. No one had ever said this and no one would ever think this without Jesus telling them, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He wants us to imitate what God is like for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You see, Jesus is commanding for impartation. But what he's doing through his life, death, and resurrection is to create the possibility for imputation. And this order is very important. Listen, if you're here and you haven't received redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and the new spirit, and you're just trying to do what God told you and treat the Bible like a rule book, I'm here to tell you you're going to run into frustration because you lack the capacity, the God-given capacity to forgive. You don't know what it's like to have been forgiven a $12 billion debt. And so if you find yourself unable to forgive and choking out people over a $2,000 loan, maybe it's because you haven't experienced that newness of life. And I don't want to assume that just because you're in church today that you have the gift of salvation that God wants to give you. Maybe you've been coming for a very long time. Maybe you've been living for 20 years, reading your Bible and going to church and trying to do all the right things only to find yourself unable and disconnected and so frustrated and circle, circle, circle back around. And the reality is that you haven't received by faith. You haven't just said to God, I trust you and believe you and received by faith the gift that he wants to give you. Unlimited forgiveness. Once you've experienced that, you change on the inside. You change. And it gives you a perspective to see everything that God calls you to forgive, no matter how terrible, minute in comparison to the limitless grace and forgiveness that you've received from God. So you gotta be made new. Secondly, though, and this is important, it's important, it's, it's critical. In order to access God's power of limitless forgiveness, you must be made whole, made whole. I talked about this last week, talking about restoration, God has the power to restore two weeks ago, but it's critical for us. I don't know if it struck you in verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants. That means he was looking for him. Do you see that? It wasn't like he stumbled across them or they bumped into each other at the water cooler, the coffee machine. He went looking for him. He owed him 100 denarii, 2,000 bucks, and seizing him, he began to choke him. Did anybody, did you hear that red and you go, that seems like a bit of an overreaction. Anybody? Anybody like, you're gonna move to assault and battery over this loan, that's where we're taking this whole thing. But how many times have you experienced in a conflict with somebody an animosity aimed at you that is not in keeping with the offense that's been created? You ever had that happen? When I was younger, I used to just think people were crazy. You are crazy. That's what I thought. And now I just realize you need to see a therapist because you got daddy issues. That's what I realize. <laughs> And so often that is the case. So often when you're encountering somebody who's acting in an unreasonable response to a particular situation, the reality is, is they they're may have their hands around your throat, but they're choking somebody else. Do you know that? And this is the amazing thing about God's limitless forgiveness is it doesn't just stop with clearing the debt between you and God. And it doesn't just empower your ability to forgive those who offend you. It actually creates in you the capacity for wholeness, to be restored to the dignity and value you have as a person and to have that come from your real father in heaven. I made the daddy issues joke because that's what most therapy is about. So tell me about your relationship with your parents. And isn't that a lot of pressure? I have four kids and I'm like, Jesus, help me to not mess them up too bad. 
We started, our account we have with CFR was meant to be wedding funds. We sold our, our first house and we had a little bit of money that came out of that. And instead of like spending that, we decided like, we're just gonna put, I have three daughters. So that's like the wedding fund. So chop, chop, chop. And Julian gets nothing. So that's, that's the plan. <laughs> so we put that little nugget away. And sometimes I joke with Tiffany. I'm like, you know what? They may have to access that for therapy. I don't know if we're gonna be able to pay for the wedding or not. Because it's amazing how easy it is for the smallest things that we do as parents to have such a radical impact on our children and their emotional state and their mental well-being and their sense of self and their self-worth and their dignity. Just the little sharp, snide comments. And some of you have experienced significant abuse at the hands of your parents or guardians or early partners in your relationship. I don't know what your stories are, but I know that there is a brokenness in every single person. And while you get saved immediately and Christ's righteousness is imputed upon you and all of your sins are forgiven, there's still a broken, hurting child in there, disillusioned by the past, who's very quick to jump all over a situation that triggers you based on something else you've already experienced. Can I get amen? You're like, no, you cannot, but that is true. <laughs> and so here we all are trying to extend forgiveness when the reality is that many, many, many of us need to be made whole. And this is the thing that I absolutely love about forgiveness and it just overwhelms me when I think about it, is that when we encounter a God who would live his whole life in complete obedience to the Father, never going his own way, never do, fulfilling his own fleshly desire, perfectly obeying God to the point of his own death that was unjust, humiliating and shameful so that he could triumph over sin and our enemy, the devil, and the grave and satisfy the wrath of God so that we could be forgiven. When I see that and I experience that love, what happens is that God does a work of restoration on the inside of me. I start to be able to experience what it means to be a son of a perfect father. Now, I have a great dad. My dad did a great job. Not perfect. If he was here, he would say that from the front row. He usually sits right there. He would tell you it wasn't perfect. He was always just trying to improve one generation at a time. And maybe we can all make some improvement. That's a great thing. But the places where my dad lacked, my heavenly father fills in. And the things, and I'll tell you, I, I mean, I'm, I'm coming up on 40 years old. Tiffany and I are going to be married 20 years in May. And it's not been an easy road. We've had all kinds of challenges. We've had all kinds of difficulties and conflicts and hurts and failures. And all of those oftentimes, as I work through them, come back to a brokenness in me. And there needed to be a wholeness made in me. And the lights had to come on for me that I have a father that loves me and that accepts me no matter how I act or what I do or how bad I've failed. And until you know God that way, you'll never walk into the wholeness that's gonna give you the strength to become a conduit for God's forgiveness to other people. And so we gotta be made new and we gotta be made whole. And there's a pun in this passage. It's hard to see in English and it, because it's, it's, um, it, it spins around the idea of circumcision. <laughs> it's always a popular topic on Sunday mornings. Uh, <laughs> Ephesians chapter two, we were reading, the, the apostle Paul saying, through this redemption, the forgiveness of sins, God's putting the world back together and he's making a new, a new man, a oneness in Christ through Jews and Gentiles, which were the furthest ends of the poles in terms of division. So you wanna talk about left and right, you wanna talk about Republican and Democrat. Uh, this got, we're like this close together when it comes to how far apart the Gentiles and the Jews were. And he says, listen, he's doing something here. And look, look at the wordplay, I'll point it out as we go through two, Ephesians chapter two, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, 
If you don't know what circumcision is, ask someone else to Google it for you. Um, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated. You see that word separated? That might be better translated cut off. That's what I thought. (laughs) Cut off from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There was an unwholeness because of a disconnection from God. And yet there was also this circumcision who had all those things and yet needed a new heart. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." Do you see what God's able to put back together? Do you think he can't fix the brokenness in you? And he came near, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father, the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We have been made whole in Christ, but we have a journey of becoming whole in experience. And oftentimes it's slow and arduous. And I wanna set your expectation for that. Some of you are in your 70s this morning and you're just realizing I got some work to do. And that's fine, you're not dead yet. Seriously, there's wholeness to be found. There's an experience where you're able to begin to see yourself the way God sees you and not the way you've been trained to see yourself. Not the way your critics see you, not the way your parents see you, not the way your exes see you, not the way that you've been treated or abused or insulted. There is a wholeness to be found when you begin to see you the way God sees you. And he sees you as willing to cancel any debt so that he can restore you back to himself. So you wanna access God's limitless power to forgive. You gotta be made new and you gotta be made whole. You know, they say hurt people, hurt people. You guys ever heard that? I'm like, that's true, but it doesn't help. (laughs) Have you ever thought that to yourself? You've been assaulted by somebody verbally. Someone's like, well, hurt people, hurt people. And and it makes you have a little bit of compassion on them. You're like, they're probably hurting. They're probably not mad at me, but that was kind of a jerk move, right? Well, here's the thing. As God puts the world back together, forgiven people, forgive people. So So many times we have this innate sense of justice and we feel like if we could just get justice, everything would be right. But you know what would happen if everybody got immediate justice? Death and punishment would reverberate around the world until we were all in prison or alone or both. But when forgiveness is experienced person to person, that is what is able to put the world back together. And God wants to do that work of wholeness in you so we can do that work of wholeness through you. Lastly, we gotta be made conductive. And this is a weird word. I couldn't find a better one. Somebody say conductive. We have a cat now. Uh, I'm getting counseling for it. We have this cat and he's not particularly friendly and I'm trying to like break him, you know? Not like break him, but like break his like, I'm trying to like, and so I'm like trying to warm him up. He was a feral cat and he has like generations of incestual bad 
juju, I don't know what you call it, but um, he spooks at every little thing. And that's good if you live on the streets, but he doesn't have to worry. Um, and so he has this one little spot he likes to sit and it's not on anybody's lap. And so I'll go walk and go try to pet him, but he likes to sit right by the air conditioner vent, which is weird. And he sits right there. And because the air is a little drier right there, whenever I pet him, it creates a static charge. <laughs> it does. So I'm like, pet, 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 and then hit the ear, pow, just shut. So it's a little counterproductive. But I was reminded of this, this capacity to connect. You guys know we're going into the winter season and our 112% humidity is gonna fall into the ridiculously low 60s and all the ladies' hair is gonna be nice all day. It's gonna be beautiful. Everyone's like, yay, yay for low humidity. Um, my kids are like, it's 50 degrees out here. I'm freezing. That's not freezing. It's in the 40s. They like put water out in bowls to see if just miraculously it freezes. This is Florida winter. The reality is, is that, I mentioned this last week, I mean, the thrust of the sermon was that God wants to forgive through you. We are a conduit of God's forgiveness. Do you remember that? That God's forgiveness is meant to flow to you, but not, but not stay with you. It's supposed to flow through you to other people. And this is why Jesus says in verse 35, if you don't forgive, your father in heaven won't forgive you. And oftentimes when we refuse to forgive, what we find is that we lock ourselves in a prison of our own making. Do you realize that? When we choose not to forgive another people, another person, our hearts become entrenched in bitterness and we begin to experience a life. I heard one person say, it's like taking a poison pill and hoping somebody else dies. And so forgiveness really does lock us away and it separates us from God because that's not what our father's like. That's not how he treats us. And it's just as inconsistent as this parable. Now, the problem is, is that oftentimes I've heard sermons, so many sermons where this parable is used to explain that your sin towards God is so much worse than everybody else's sin towards you. And so the solution is if you'll just focus in on what a creep you are, then you'll have some perspective that'll help you to treat other people better. Any of you guys ever heard a version of a sermon like that? Flush those down the toilet. That's not at all what it's talking about. The problem is if you do a deep dive in on your own sin in an effort to make yourself feel bad so that you see yourself as having incurred a bigger debt towards God so that you have some capacity to be able to forgive another person, all that happens is that you have a lower version of vision of yourself, a smaller version of God, and you don't have the access to the power that you need to forgive that other person. It just complicates the matter. That is not the point. The point is conductivity. The point is you have to be willing to make the step that seems impossible in order to experience the charge of the power of God. Do you realize that? This has always been the journey of faith. God led his people to the Red Sea and out of delivering them from slavery in Egypt with the Egyptian army coming up on their flank. And then what did he say? Walk across it. You know that that water did not part until Moses' staff went into it until they took the first step. This happens again and again and again. Joshua in the battle of Jericho, you're not gonna fight, you have no weapons, you have no soldiers, I want you to march. How ridiculous is that? But when you do what God says, you see God's miraculous intervention. Do you understand? There has to be some conductivity. You have to be able to put faith in some effort out there to make this thing happen. And I guarantee you, brothers and sisters, when you experience God making you new through his imputation of Christ's righteousness. And when you begin to walk with him as father and let him heal you up and make you whole, you'll begin to access power you didn't know was there. But when you get to the moment you need it, it's still not gonna feel right. But you have to let that charge take place. I'm gonna close with an example of this, an extreme example of this that I think will speak to you as it did to me. This is from Corey Ten Boom, who harbored Jews escaping Nazi tyranny in the 40s. 
she was captured and imprisoned in a concentration camp with her sister, Betsy, who died there. And after the war was over, she survived the concentration camps. She began to preach in churches and tell people about the forgiveness of God. She says this, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947 and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins are thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their things, in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next I saw him in his blue uniform with a visored cap with the skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of her skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And this man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now, he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day been forgiven and could not take his hand. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. 
I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who are able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. And I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, that much I can do. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, it raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. That, brothers and sisters, is a limitless forgiveness that puts the world back together. And this is what God has done to make us new and to make us whole and to send us out. Amen. God, I pray for every one of us in this journey of life and the forgiveness that we must grant and the forgiveness for which we must ask. God, I pray that every person in your hearing who has not experienced the gift of your righteousness in Jesus by faith in his name would be made new in this moment as they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that you are Lord. I pray, God, that you would do your work of making us whole. And God, use us as we take that first wooden mechanical step to obey you, that we might experience the conductivity of your power to forgive. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, if you have any need of prayer this morning, or if you've prayed to receive Christ into your heart, our prayer team would love to pray with you. If you have any need at all, and if you have need for personal reflection or to send a text message or a phone call, I highly encourage you to do that. And if you're on a journey of wholeness, let me commend to you Open Doors Counseling Network and their many trained therapists who can help you in that journey. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you next week.